Uh, we are now in the second last week of our Old Testament series. Uh, in the beginning, God created the whole world. So we start with that. God created the whole world. It was perfect. God's people live in God's place under God's rule and blessing. And God mandated that humans are to uh, multiply, to rule the creation under God. And that's what we know as the Adamic Covenant. The Adamic Covenant. But unfortunately, it didn't last very long. Uh, Adam and Eve decided to live outside of God's rule. As a result, human beings are cut off from God, cut off from the source of life. Uh, sin and death entered the world, and now God's people are no longer lived in God's place under God's blessing. However, God did not leave them lost without hope. Uh, God called a man called Abraham, and he promised that all nations on earth will be blessed through him, through his descendants, and that's what we know as the Abrahamic covenant. And then last week, we learned how God rescued his people from Egypt through Moses, and God made another covenant through Moses. We know that as Mosaic covenant. So in the Abrahamic covenant, God promised to bless the nations through Abraham's descendants. In Mosaic covenant, God promised that Israel will be his people, that God will dwell near his people. And God will bring them into the land of peace and prosperity, the land of shalom. And in today's passage, God gives another promise, and this time to King David, which is what we know as the Davidic covenant. Now the passage begins with David saying to the prophet, saying to prophet Nathan uh, of his intention to build a temple for God. You know, now that the land is at peace, at least temporarily at peace, David says, I think it's not right for me to dwell in this beautiful palace while God is just a happy camper in an unpowered site somewhere. So I want to build a house for God. I want to build a house for God, a grand temple fitting for, the, for our almighty God. And Prophet Nathan, without much thinking, says, yeah, no bad, king, no bad. Now, there's nothing wrong with this, right? If you read just at a, at a glance, there's nothing wrong with this. But apparently, it's not as innocent as it seems because if we look at the way God responds to David's proposal, and if you look at later how David responds to God's response, we realize that there is a tinge of arrogance to David's proposal. It's more likely that David says something like, I'm now a king. I'm a sovereign ruler of the sovereign nation. It's now time for me to do God a favor. I want people to see that I built the grand temple for God. Now, none of us here are like King David. Uh, we have a mafia, but he's preaching in Tani at the moment. Uh, that's Pastor Lou, by the way, just in case you're wondering. Uh, we are on an exchange program today. But, uh, but if you have been Christian for some time, if you have been a Christian for some time, oh, by the way, it's not real mafia, just in case some of you, oh, we have mafia in this. Sorry. I realize a lot of you are newcomers, so no, no, it's, it's, he's just Italian, that's it. Oh, anyway, <laughs> just to be clear. <laughs> Sorry, see, I messed up already. Anyway, uh, but if you have been a Christian for some time, you know, it's easy for you to think like King David, you know. When you were a younger Christian, you were so full of thanksgiving to God, and you say, I want to serve God. I want to serve God. He has loved me. He has served me. I want to serve God. But now, at times, as you grow mature, as you get comfortable in church, some of you might begin thinking like, I need to do this for God. I'm doing God a favor. I'm doing church a favor. 
if I'm not around, the church will be dot, dot, dot. Church needs me here. Correction, God needs me here. Now, I know none of you will think like that. At least none of you will say it out loud. You know, just like David, it's, it's okay. Just like David, we want to do something for God. The intention is always good. I think it's a problem if you say, I don't want to serve God. It is a problem, of course. But this passage invites us to examine our hearts. Is there a tinge of arrogance in the way we serve God? Maybe as you get complacent, you're slowly growing out of humility before God. And God's response to David is important for the trajectory of the history of Israel, but it's also an important lesson for us all as well. So, three things God makes clear to David. I brought you here, I will give rest to my people, and I will establish my king. I brought you here. So firstly, I brought you here. You know, in verse 6, God says to David, He brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. That's what God says. You know, it was, it, was, it, was God who, it was God who sent plague after plague when the Israelites were in Egypt. It was God who let Israel, Israelites cross the dry ground while blocking the, cha- the Pharaoh's army who was chasing behind them. It was, it was you know, when, when fr- out, of, out of Egypt, when they went out from Egypt, they were a nation of ex-slaves. They were without weapons, they were, they were without military training, but all the way to the promised land, God protected them. God brought them to victory after victory against any nation that bullied and attacked them. God rained down manna and quail every day for 40 years to sustain their strength. And if you read closely, God miraculously kept their garments and their shoes from rotting, from breaking apart for 40 years. Because according to Google Maps, there was no Kmart or Uniqlo around. (laughs) But it was God who who sustained them. And it was God who parted Jordan River as they crossed the Jordan River. And it was God who destroyed the wall of Jericho as they take the first step into the promised land. It was all God. God was faithful to His covenant, to Abraham, to Moses, and God brought His people to the promised land. I brought you here. And not only with regards to the whole nation, in verse, verses 8 to 9, God also said to King David, I brought you here. I brought you here, King David. You are king because of me. You know, without me, you will still be a boy smelling like sheep. But I include you in my grand story. I allow you to participate in my great plan. I've been with you all the way when you were tending sheep in your father's, in your daddy's field, when you were a musician in, King's, in King Saul's court, when you were a general in King Saul's army, when, when you were in the wilderness, when King Saul was trying to kill you, when King Saul was chasing you, trying to kill you, I was with you in the wilderness. And now you are well established as a king in the land. I brought you here. But somehow David grew complacent and started to forget all this. You see, what made, Israelite, what made Israel different from other nations, among other things, is that Israel's God dwelt in a moving tent. But here David wants to be like other nations who house their gods in a temple. And God tells David, I never asked you to build me a house, did I? You see, as a king, David forgets who ultimately calls the shot. God says here in verse 7, I commanded 
the leaders of Israel to shepherd my people. They take orders from God, not the other way around. Twice in this passage, God says, go and tell my servant David. Now therefore thus you shall, you shall say to my servant David. In verse 2, David simply addressed God as with the simple generic term, God. But four times in this passage, God speaks to David invoking his name, the Lord, with a capital L-O-R-D, which refers to the name of God, Jehovah. God reminds David that he is Jehovah God, he's the only one sovereign, the only true sovereign almighty God, and David is just a servant of God. God puts David in his place, and God reminds David of God's rightful place. And if you read further, we cannot cover this today, but if you read further, verses 18 to 29, David is truly humbled before God. Eleven times, David refers to God as Jehovah, Lord with a capital L-O-R-D. And ten times, David refers to himself as your servant, your servant, your servant, your servant. David is truly and utterly humbled before the sovereign Lord. There is a lesson of humility for us all as well. You know, when things are good, like I said, when things are good, when we have certain accomplishments, we are tempted to think that we are the ones who brought us here. You know, we work hard. We deserve all this. And as Christians, especially like I mentioned just now, it's easy to think that God needs us. But here God says, no way. No way. God is God. We are His servants. God doesn't need us. We need God. God doesn't take orders from God. Like David, we can forget who ultimately calls the shot. We humbly obey God because He is our sovereign Lord and King. Regardless of David as a king, me as a pastor, you as a leader in your organization, you as a parent, you in your study, you among your group of friends, whatever position you are in right now, whatever accomplishment you have, never once you think that you deserve or you earn it. God brought you there. God brought you there. And that's the first thing that God tells David, I brought you here. And secondly, he tells David, I will give rest to my people. I will give rest to my people. You know, the, the guy that did my garden landscape many years ago was a 70-year-old uh, uncle from Vietnam. Whenever he worked in the garden, he just worked by himself. He's so strong, 70-year-old. He worked in the, whenever he worked out on the, in the garden, I asked him, Uncle, just come in for a coffee. Of course, he loved his dark coffee with condensed milk, right? And he told me that his family escaped from Vietnam during the war. They had to cross the border on a boat to Thailand, stay in a holding camp there for a while, and then move further south to a refugee camp in Malaysia. And then after spending some time in Malaysia, then he was transferred to Australia. I don't think... Any of us who have ever, I don't think any of us who have never been a refugee can even begin to understand what this uncle and his family had to go through. The sense of uncertainty about the future. The fear of ang and anxiety of what is going to happen tomorrow. Not even, don't even, don't, not, don't even mention two years, tomorrow. The unsettled feeling of what life is going to look like going forward and you can imagine the sense of relief when they finally arrive in Australia you know the story of the people of God 
in the Old Testament is, among other things, is the story of migrations from one place to another. When God called Abraham, he asked Abraham to move from his, his, his home, home country, which is Ur here, which is his, his hometown, all the way to Canaan. And God said to, to Abraham, I will give you this land. I promise I will give you this land to your descendants. That's why it's called the promised land. But then due to famine, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, brought the whole family to Egypt. In Egypt, for a while, they call Egypt home, but Egypt is ultimately not their home. They enjoyed some peace, but they ended up becoming slaves in Egypt. And God then called Moses to bring them out to back to the promised land. And when they arrived back in the promised land, Joshua chapter 21, verse 43 to 45 says this, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it, they settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed, all came to pass. We thought, that's it. We have arrived. But no, the story didn't end there. During the time of Judges, they had periods of rest, yes, but they were always interrupted by wars or conflicts with the neighboring nations. It is partly or maybe mainly because they did not fully obey God. They were in the promised land, but because they did not fully live under God's rule, they did not experience that lasting rest. And then during the reign of King David, they enjoy another period of rest. And David says this, Then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God. This is David talking years later, reflecting of what he's doing in this passage today. Again, the intention is good. But if David thought he could give rest to God, then he was deeply misguided. And God corrected David. He says in today's passage, in verses 10 to 11, God says, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And the violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly. From the time I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Again, never once, never once we should think that we give God a favor by giving Him a break. No. David, David wasn't the one who, bring, who brought rest to the nation, and he certainly must not be the one who thinks that he could give God rest. It was God who gave rest to his people, not the other way around. And he would do that, and he, here in this passage, God promised that he would do that by sending his king, by establishing his king who will rule his kingdom perfectly. Which leads me, which leads us to my last point. I will establish my king. In verse 12, God delivers the last blow to David. He says, I will establish the kingdom, but you will not be that king. In fact, you will die. It is through your offspring I will bring the ultimate rest to my people. In verses 13 to 17, God says, 
God tells David what this king will be like. He says, he shall build a, firstly, this king will build a house for God's name. And secondly, his throne will be forever. And thirdly, although this king will come from David, he will be known as God's son. And fourth, as a son, God's love will not depart from him, but when he sins, God will discipline him. Now this is the crux of what we know as the Davidic covenant, God's promise to King David. You know, one commentator actually claims that this is the ideological summit, ideological summit of the Old Testament. This is the crux, the peak of God's promise to His people. God will bring complete and ultimate rest for His people. He will bring all that through the promised King, the anointed Messiah. And from this point forward, Israel, the whole nation, eagerly awaited the coming of this promised king. Now, of course, if you just read this, David, when David heard this for the first time, no one would fault David if he thought that this would be his son, Solomon, right? And true enough, Solomon did build the temple for God. Israel was at its peak during Solomon's time. People from all nations came and brought tribute to Solomon. God's kingdom seems to be established in the promised land. God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. But, however, unfortunately, that shalom, that peace, that rest did not last. Solomon built the temple of God God's temple stood majestically in Jerusalem, but unfortunately, Solomon did not devote his life to this one true God. Under the influence of his many wives, Solomon bowed down to worship many false gods. Solomon's economic and military power was unmatched. However, he did all that by going against what God had said in his law. And because of Solomon's blatant disobedience, the kingdom was broken into two. The kingdom of Israel spiraled downward from bad to worse until one day God sent them all to exile. Now in the Abrahamic covenant, the promise is that God will bless his people and to give the people a land to dwell. In the Mosaic covenant, God promised to dwell with the people. In the Davidic covenant, God promised to give rest to his people through the anointed king. And when they were banished to exile, all that seems lost. Israel had no land, no king, and they felt that God had abandoned them. No land, no king, no God. But all hope was not lost. All hope was not lost. God is still faithful to his covenant. During and after exile, God raised prophet after prophet to remind the people that God wasn't done with Israel. God wasn't done with Israel. The story continues but we have too close now so for that you must come back next week okay so three things God says to David in this passage today he says I brought you here I will bring rest to my people and I will establish my king now friends just like the people of Israel just like the people of Israel all of us we all long for a permanent rest we all long for permanent rest not just physically, but emotionally, 
mentally and spiritually. The feeling of, we have arrived. Life is going to be good. We're going to be okay. We are safe now. We can look forward to the future. Everything is going to be all right. That sense of peace, that sense of rest is what every human being is looking for. You know, we are created to live as God's people in God's place under His rule and blessing. That is what it feels like, that sense of peace to live under God's rule and blessing is that everything is good, everything is perfect. But that's not this world, is it? That is not this world. Life is full of struggles. Life is full of struggles. The struggle, of, the struggle to prove ourselves, the struggle to earn our place in the society, the struggle for financial security. Whenever we begin to feel, ah, I think life is going to be good now. The very next moment, the very next day, something, something, someone takes something away from us. The feeling of everything is good now seems too far out of reach. But there is good news. There is good news. The promised king who would bring God's rest has already come. He, is, he has already come. As a human being, Jesus came from the line of David. He is that promised offspring of David. He is the son of David. And Jesus also is the son of God. In his baptism, God the Father declared, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And just like verse 14 says, when, I, when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him. Jesus suffered the rod of men with the stripes of the sons of men. He died a humiliating death on the cross. But it wasn't his sin who put him there. It was not his sin that hung him there. It was our sins. He came down as a king, but his king, he came down as a servant king. He took the punishment of our sins upon his shoulder so that we would be forgiven. On that cross, he was forsaken so that we will be accepted. On that cross, he went through the intense, the most intense ordeal that anyone has ever or will, never, will ever go through so that we can have that rest with God. And this king, this king Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. He doesn't say, I'll give you more things to do. I will give you more burden for your life. No, he will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Friends, if you are burdened with the struggle to prove yourself, Jesus says, Come to me, I've reconciled you to the Father. You are His child now. You don't have to prove yourself anymore. If you feel lonely, unloved, maybe you've been wronged by others, Jesus says, come to me, I love you, I died for you. If you're ridden with guilt and shame, Jesus says, come to me, I've secured forgiveness for you. Give me your shame, let me carry them, lay it all out before me and receive my forgiveness and receive my peace. If you're struggling to redeem yourself or to be right with God, Jesus says, stop struggling, surrender to me, trust me, I will give you my righteousness. If you're filled with fear and anxiety about what tomorrow will hold, 
Jesus says, come to me. I am in control. I am sovereign. Rest in me. Yes, the world, in this world, you will not be free from sickness, sins, strife, and struggles. But as you trust Jesus as your Lord, as your sovereign as King, as your Savior, even in the midst of life's chores, choices, challenges, and calamities, we can have that sense of peace. We can have that, we can have that sense of rest, knowing that Jesus is great, gracious, glorious, good and generous king and he is with us and he is for us and in the end when our life is done on this earth we will be welcome into god's heavenly eternal rest when there are no more sickness no more sins no more striving no more struggles where you can finally say we have finally arrived Everything is good now. Friends, David did not live to see the fulfillment of God's promise. But we do. He has sent his king. He has promised us rest. And he will bring you there. Come to him, all who labor and are heavy laden. And Jesus, your king, will give you rest. Will you trust Him? Let me pray. Father, we thank You so much, Lord. The promise of rest is for us. You do not leave us without hope. You do not, do not leave us lost in our sins, in our helplessness, left to ourselves, Father. We don't even know that we are lost. But we thank You, Lord, that You gave Your promise to Abraham, to Adam, to Abraham, to Moses, to King David. And all that promises, we inherit all those promises for us who live today. And we have seen, we have known Jesus, we have read about Jesus, our eyes have seen Jesus. Thank you for the faith that you have given us. Help us to cling on to Jesus and every day to experience that rest, that sense of peace. The sense of peace that, 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 that transcends all understanding will rule our heart and our mind. And Father, for anyone here who do not know Jesus yet, I pray, Father, that you show them the peace, the rest that you have promised them. Open their eyes, Lord. Show them, Lord, that their rest, that, that their longing for rest can be found in you and in you alone. Let them experience your love, your grace, your peace, your forgiveness, your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. It's all so good to have you back, Pastor Sandy. Um, there's a few questions, mostly about rest. Um, the first one is, we endure stress and burden in our work and personal lives every day. Yeah. How do we get to rest with Jesus in our day-to-day -day lives? Yeah, that is, that is very, very important because it's easy, for us to, it's easy for us to read the Bible and read these promises, but sometimes we don't experience it. I think I'll just share maybe my experience like as a pastor, for example. Almost every day, if not every day, I think it's all, bird, all, all, all stress, you know. When, when we have one event happening at church, it went really well. We thought, life's good. Suddenly go home, the kid's acting up. The wife's acting up, no. It's more like me acting up. <laughs> it's more like me acting up, okay? Don't go around telling Maria about that. Uh, it's, it's me acting up. And then suddenly there's wrestling, struggle, conflict, and stuff like that. And it's just never ending. I think that's because of our sins. We need to realize that it's all because of our sins. But every day learn to 
just shut the door behind you and just go to God in prayer. Many, many days, I tell you, when I go to God to pray, I don't know what to say. I really don't know what to say. I just sit down there and just say, God, you know. And I just sit down there and just rest. And I know because God knows. God doesn't 